This is Heads Up, where we explore the challenges, opportunities, and trends inside today's highest performing supply chain operations. Now to our host, CEO of Mountain Leverage, Alex Renneman. Hello, I'm Alex Runneman, and with me today is Elias Simpson. Elias leads Bpost Parcels and Logistics North America Division, which includes Bpost subsidiaries like Radio, Apple Express, FDM, Landmark Global, and the Mail Group. Uh, when I first met Elias, he held the position as Senior Vice President of Fulfillment Services at Radio, where he led Radio's nationwide operations for fulfillment, uh, network optimization, engineering, continuous improvement, project management. So Elias has got some great experience, and in my opinion, a perfect guest for our program. So Elias, thank you for, for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me, Alex. I'm uh, very excited to speak with you this afternoon. So looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, let's. So I, I did my best of trying to explain what you do and what, what everything's about. So can you just take a moment and tell us a little bit about Radio B Post, your role, uh, you know, that way we can kind of know where we're going, really. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so B Post is the uh, is, is essentially the Belgian Postal Service, um, and over the years they've been transforming the company and acquiring uh, companies really all over the world um, in, in an effort to offset the the declining mail business and and continue to transform their their, their organization. And so, um, one of the acquisitions that they made back in 2017 was Radio. Um, and, and I was with Radial at the time, as at that time as a vice president, and um, and so they've acquired a few companies in North America. Uh, Radial, the other ones that you mentioned, Radial is the largest, um, but they they essentially needed someone to lead those uh, North American businesses. So I lead the uh, North American businesses for Radial. Um, you know, each business operates a little bit differently. We've got you know a cross border business with Landmark and. We've got a final mile business with Apple Express and each business has a CEO that, that uh, reports into me, except for Radial where I serve as um, the CEO of Radial uh, for, for that organization. Gotcha. Um, but but the, the focus of what we do, Alex, is e-commerce. Um, so, you know, we, we are uh, an e-commerce uh, provider for various brands, um, uh, mostly high-end fashion uh, and, and cosmetic brands. So uh, a lot of your household names, um, you know, companies like Payless, Hibbit Sports, Untuck It, that we do the uh, e-commerce fulfillment, call center operations, as well as the uh, shipping and, and logistics for, and, and, and the technology solutions as well. Yeah, great. So that that service, obviously, and we'll just pull the bandaid right, jump right into the pandemic. I mean, yeah. I don't want to make light of it. Yeah, obviously, there's Absolutely. there's all kinds of things affected. Everything's affected. But your business, this business model, supply chain in general, but but certainly what you guys do had to be affected by the pandemic. So how 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 has it affected your customers, your business model, omni-channel operations, wherever you see kind of the, its most impact in terms of what you do on a day-in, day-out basis? Yeah, yeah, the pandemic was uh, obviously, um, ha has been very interesting because obviously we're, we're still in the midst of it. Um, yep. But, you know, first and foremost, it, it impacted us in the fact that we have, you know, 10,000 employees across North America that we had to figure out how we were going to keep them safe and keep them working and and keep product flowing. So that that was kind of the first um, the first step for us was was making sure that we could safely operate and, and and put people in a position where they could still do their jobs. And so we had to be really creative around you know what we were doing within our fulfillment centers and within our call centers. Um, so we put in some work from home models and things like that um, to to help us be successful on the call center side. And then in the fulfillment side, we had to leverage technology and and other things. But um, you know, so then, so we're dealing with that. And then on top of that, e-commerce goes through the roof because right. stores are closed and everything. So, so basically we're in a situation where we're trying to figure out how to keep people, people safe and distance and all this other, all these other things. 
in the middle of a, a, a basically a peak, right? So, um, you know, our volume in Q2 of last year when the pandemic hit was up 62% year over year. So, I mean, we, we, we literally went um, from zero to a hundred, uh, you know, not quite zero, but, but, but you get the, the, the point where from zero to hundred with the pandemic and, um, and it's continued, it's continued. I mean, we're still seeing heavy online volumes um, pretty much across the board. Uh, and, and, and what it's led to is a shift for a lot of our brands and a lot of our customers who have said, you know, they were going to go down this path anyway. And so some have accelerated and said, you know what, this is this now time to bring our e-commerce strategy forward and um, start taking advantage of that of that channel. So for a lot of customers, we, we went from almost an afterthought or a secondary channel to we're now the primary channel and the primary focus for their for their consumers. Yeah, I mean that that growth is amazing, and we we see statistics all the time. But when it happens in your business, and it's a it's a peak that that stays there, it's pegged and it just stays. How did you know? How did you guys handle that? I mean, that's that's rapid growth in business, but also in the in the people you have to have and and all that. What what were some of the things? How did you guys handle all that? Yeah, so we we um, we had to get really uh really creative. Like I said, on the call center side, we leveraged the the work from home model, which was huge for us. We, we would not have made it on the call center side with, with without that. Um, and so luckily between our IT teams and our call center teams, we were able to, to quickly put a model like that in place. And that, that allowed us to ramp up um, and, you know, in an environment where people aren't necessarily comfortable going into a building all, all the time, that, that really made a difference for us on that side. On the fulfillment side, you know, over the years, we've really been working on our utilization and, and our technology and other things within the fulfillment centers. And so it, it actually timed out where you know, the, the pandemic from a volume perspective was a good thing for our fulfillment centers to, to start putting some of those things into practice, right? So, yeah. um, you know, the interesting thing about it is, is, uh, you know, typically we, we kind of have these spikes in, in our business and, you know, you're kind of going up and down and up and down. Well, when you can just stay up for a while, it, it actually provides some, some, uh, so, some, uh, some synergies and some, and, and yeah. some uh, makes things a little bit easier to some degree, right? You're not onboarding and offboarding people. You just have to keep people uh, a, a little longer. Um, but we also had to get creative with things like pop-up buildings um, where we basically would take a, you know, either, either take down some empty space or find empty space in a building to pop up an, an additional customer in and, and use that as like a second node um, for, for distributing uh, their product. Um, obviously, we leveraged uh, automation, so we have a, a great partnership with Locus Robotics, and we scaled up from you know a couple dozen robots to a couple hundred robots with them in our Kentucky facilities. Um, so again, and, and we had to do that with all of our with all of our partners, where we we basically you know we had to scale up. But you know, for us, the good thing is that we're used to that um, through peaks o over the years, as, as you know, <laughs> and, um, and so we were just able to, to scale up and, and stay up for, for an extended period of time. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. You know, that, 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 that seasonal rush, you know, all of a sudden's up and it's, Hey, okay, now we're, now we, now we just drive, you know, yeah, I know it's, it's not that simple, but, uh, yeah, it is different. So I always like to ask everybody, there's prognosticators all over the map on this stuff, but what trends do you see that are going to kind of stick around or, or what trends do you see emerging after, I mean, it's a heck of an experience across the world, but what trends do you see that you think, yeah, these, these are coming or these are, these are going to stay? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, things like buy online and pick up in store, we're starting to pick up momentum. Um, and I think that'll be, I think that'll stick. And I think that'll just continue to grow things like curbside pickup. You know, it's interesting. Um, you know, I, was, I, I shared in a, a, another session that we, um, you know, we've been doing curbside pickup for years 
and people kind of thought of that like why would you offer a curbside pickup service <laughs> and um, but but now that's become a popular thing and so I, I you know I think just the convenience I think people were hesitant to do some of those things in the past and now um, the convenience of it of being able to you know not have to get out your car or run in the store, but just you know pull up to a parking spot and tell me a number and, and, and have your product bought to you. So, so I definitely think some of the omni-channel, uh, you know, things like like buy online pickup in store and curbside pickup will stick around. Um, I think more companies are going to shift to an e-commerce strategy overall. Um, you know, definitely those who were already heavily invested in their e-commerce strategy uh, benefited during this time versus those who hadn't quite built out that strategy. I don't think stores will go away, but I think stores will be utilized differently. Um, you know, I think stores are becoming more of a, almost like a showroom. You know, uh, you know, Best Buy did that model years ago where they basically said, hey, look, you come into the store to see everything, but when you wanna buy something, you've, you've gotta either order it online or in the store and, and come back and get it later. So, so I think that, you know, even more companies are gonna go, um, go that route in terms of using their stores differently. And then I think just from a work perspective, I think some of the um, some of the things that happened as a result of social distancing and people working from home, I think some of those will stick. You know, more virtual meetings. Um, you know, I think that'll be be a common thing in the workplace. And I think that um, you know, for us, we our, our call center work from home model will will stick around, right? Like that's something that um, you know, we'll, we'll always have physical call centers, and, and that that there'll all be stores. But we're definitely trying to leverage that model as much as possible. Well, I'll tell you, being a, a remote company and have been from the beginning, so 16 years of that, the tools in the last 12 months, the tools <laughs> have, have massively gone like, all right, you know, we're yeah. bonus, bonus benefit to us for that. Hey, so another another trend, I don't know whether we call it a trend or not, but, you know, when we look back over this year and, and I, you know, look, th there are lots of ways you and I may define ourselves and, right. and none of them are singular. You know, you, you may be a, a father, a husband, a son, a brother, a, a, you're a CEO, all these things. As am I, you know, one of the things that, that certainly is is something where we define one another in this world today is race. And, that's you know, in that case, you're a black guy and I'm a white guy. Right. Um, and so so that's something that's different. And we all know race is a context and there's creation and all that. We could have all that conversation at some point. But I wanted to pull you in and talk about what what oftentimes can be super uncomfortable. But but I wanted to get your perspective on race and diversity in the workplace and specifically in our industry and you know, I just I looked at some of the statistics. You know, leaders of color in are clearly at a shortage in comparatively speaking. You know, I mean, again, we have we have obviously we have societal changes or, or challenges uh, that the that people across the nation and the world are are wrestling with and challenging with. But but for the Wall Street Journal, so you know, out of, out of the chief executives running America's top 500 companies, less than one percent are, are black. And and among all U.S. companies with 100 or more employees. So, you know, uh, black folks hold only around 3% of executive and senior level roles. And so I look at that and I go, whoa, um, okay. And so I, I just, what, what do you see or some of the organizational challenges that are leading to this disparity in, in our industry? Yeah, absolutely not. And, and it's, it's a good call out and, it's, and, it, and it can be a difficult topic at times, uh, as you mentioned, but I think it's an important topic. And it's something that unfortunately, um, you know, when, as much progress as we as we've made as a country and uh, as as a people, we we haven't really made progress in that. And you know, if you read a lot of articles around the Fortune 500, for example, that number of black executives hasn't really moved in in years. And so um, it's it's still a challenge. I think the biggest piece of it is um, there's a couple things for me. For me, it all starts with unconscious bias, right? And um, you know, what what I've experienced in my career is that when you don't 
and it's almost a chicken and egg thing, but when you don't have diversity, you don't get diversity. Um, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, I think oftentimes, you know, you, you maybe have like a, a white man leading a business and he hires people that, you know, look like him. And, and so what you end up with is, you know, a non-diverse workforce. And so, and I don't think it's intentional. I don't think anybody's actually out there, you know, I mean, probably there are some, but, you know, I think in a lot of cases, it's just unconscious bias and people um, hiring, you know, because uh, we all like to hire people that remind us as ourselves, right? Like, as you know, through years of interviewing and, and all the interviewing training, they tell you to watch out for that, right? But, um, but that's what we do. We tend to hire people like ourselves. And so I think there's a lot of unconscious bias that, that leads into it. And then what you end up with is a situation where um, once, you, once you have that lack of diversity, you've now created a situation where diverse candidates don't feel welcome. Right. So um, I always share that one of the first things I've always done, have always done when I looked at um, a company I was considering joining or wanting to know more about is I would look at their executive team on their, on their website. And if it was an all white executive team on the website, that was a sign to me that I may not be welcome. <laughs> and so, again, that those companies are, are I'm sure don't aren't intentionally doing that, but that that's a side effect of of not having a focus on diversity. Um, and you know, from what I've what I've what I've experienced over my career, and I've been somewhat fortunate, Alex, in the fact that you know a lot of my leaders and senior leaders over the years have been minorities, whether women or African American, what something something of the, of the sort, and have brought me along. And so, um, you know, that that's been that's opened up some doors for me. But but there's there's not enough of that, and um, that that's that's part of what we're going to have to break down. Um, but but I think companies really have to think about what are you doing to actually attract that minority talent and what are you doing to attract you know black leaders and make them and make sure that that you, that they know they're com they could, they're welcome at your organization and that they they could have potential within your organization are you seeing any trends that are regarding diversity and inclusion in our industry or beyond that are that are working <laughs> yeah i mean absolutely I, I think that um you know obviously with the events in 2020 and, and some of the things that were going around around social justice social injustice mm -hmm. um there's been a lot more focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, you know, we've been putting a lot more focus on it on our side. I think the I think the biggest thing you can do is is educate, and I think that a lot of organizations have started having conversations, um, you know, listening sessions, putting together employee resource groups, and getting feedback, and just understanding how people feel and 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 hearing what some of those. Um, exclusionary activities that you're doing as an organization are so that you can start to address them. Um, and, and then I think also a lot of organizations are, and I think it's something you have to be careful with, but, but you know, unfortunately, you do have to be deliberate. And so a lot of organizations are putting some hard numbers around what they're going to do in terms of uh, addressing the diversity in their leadership teams. Um, and, and so I think those trends are working. Um, but I, I think, you know, for me, you, you wish it could be organic, um, but I, I, I don't think that that obviously that doesn't work always. And so I think you have to be you have to be deliberate about it. You've got to be conscious about it. Um, and, and like I said, I think the education, um, the focus on diversity hiring and most importantly, talking to the, the people within your organization um, and, 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 the, and, and talking to the diverse people within your organization to understand their perspective is is really really important yeah i think that's 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 really good stuff um i, I and i want to so so let's 
So let's talk about the, the why, um, why it's important. And I, I want to share some, I'm, and I want to be super careful because I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm not sharing an equivalency, but yeah. I think fundamentally there, there, are, there are some similarities enough that make sense. And where I'm going with that is um, the idea of appreciating someone of, of difference. And, and it's, it's something I've learned in my path that right. I, I don't always get, I don't always do it well, but I try to appreciate the differences. And, and in our company, we've, we've done a great job, I think, of, of having strong women leaders in our company, but we have not done a fantastic job on, on people of color. And, and we just haven't. And so it's one of those, but when I look at it, I, I look back in our history and I remember, so, so I'm come, I come from a small town in West Virginia, hillbilly, you know, I talk like a hillbilly. I, I, there's things I say, there's colloquialisms, all those things fit in. And I remember people asking me, um, hey, West Virginia, technology company, West Virginia, what are you, what are you doing? You know, and, and I remember answering things, almost being apologetic, saying, well, right. it's a great place to raise a family. It's wonderful. It, it, you know, I say the stress level. So, you know, I, I, once I'm done traveling, I'm off the phone, I'm, I'm right. in an area where everybody's nice and all that. That's all very true. But what I realized several years ago is, in fact, that's really a strength. I can turn that into a strength. I'm not saying it's necessarily always an advantage because there is yeah. a disadvantage Absolutely. to not being like everybody else. And Right. Again, not an equivalency of, of minority, but <laughs> but what I've been able to do, I've turned around and said, wait a minute, I grew up in a town where tenacity, grit, right. collaboration, right. helping neighbors, all these things I learned. Mm. I looked at my company and I thought, this is who we are. We actually drew strength from having that difference. Now, again, I want to be clear, that's that's very <laughs> different than you know, when you and I walk in a room, people see two different two different folks. And if I don't say a word, they don't know I'm a hillbilly, right? By looking yeah. at it. So, but but it's kind of a two-part question. I say that to say there's a reason to hire. It's not just Let's quota, let's quota up and let's do a PR stunt and let's do these things. There's actually a strategic value, a strength Absolutely. to hiring minorities. So let me let me ask you a two-part question and you can hit it however in whatever direction you want. Yeah, One from a company perspective, and that's largely folks that are listening, our leaders and companies to, to this 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 recording. But why might company leaders uh, see leaders of color as a strategic advantage as opposed to an accommodation or a quota or whatever else? And the second part question at any point you want to add in, if if someone's listening right now and they're a minority. Why, what can they, a professional of color, if you will, consider to make their own successful path in industries like you and others have done? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll tackle the first part first as an organization. I, I think, um, not I think, I mean, there's been, there's been plenty of data that proves that um, diversity within your organization leads to um, increased profitability, increased efficiency, increased productivity, all these different things. And I think, you, and you hit on why, Alex, it's, it's the diversity of thought that comes with diversity. When you have people of different backgrounds and different mindsets and from different cultures, they bring different, they look at different situations differently. And so you and I approach a problem in two completely different ways based on our life experiences. So by having all of those different points of view and those different perspectives, you bring diversity of thought to the to the leadership team, and with diversity of thought comes innovation. So um, for me, that that's the key: is you, you want diversity of thought within the organization, and you want to drive innovation through that diversity of thought. You know, you have to be very cautious of groupthink, right? Like you don't want to get into a situation where, um, you know, as a leader of an organization, you hire a bunch of people like you, and now you're in a situation where you know, you you guys are all thinking the same way, and you're all doing the same things, and and, and that that can be dangerous. Quick right. way to get caught. Um, That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, you know, I think I think bringing on, um, you know, leaders of all different backgrounds and, and bringing on leaders of color and bringing on women in leadership, you bring a different perspective, um, which leads to diversity of thought, and, and that that drives benefits for the business um, and drives creativity. And and then I just think, you know, obviously as as more organizations focus on that, 
as you think about partnerships and, and, and organizations that you want to work with and being able to draw the best talent, diversity becomes important as well, right? One thing I always tell people is, um, you know, I, I've always tried to have a pretty diverse, diverse leadership team, but I've never, I've never had to put out quotas or, or specific targets. What I do is I hire the best talent out there. And, you know, if you hire the best talent out there, you'll end up with diverse talent because it's, you know, the best talent isn't all white women or all white men or all black men or all black women. It's the best talent comes from all different backgrounds and all different areas. And so if you just focus on hiring the best talent, you'll end up with a, with a diverse workforce, in my opinion. And again, you'll have that diversity of thought, you'll have those different perspectives and you'll be better off as an organization. And then you'll have the people, you know, having diversity in leadership is important because, you know, and this kind of answers the second part of the question for somebody like me, um, you know, early in my career, I left an organization because I didn't see any leaders of color. And I felt like, I, you know, nobody was saying it to me that I couldn't be a, a senior leader within that organization. But I, you know, I, I formed that opinion myself based on what I saw within the organization. Yeah, context. And so I, I moved on to, to a different organization. And so that company lost, in, in my mind, a good talent, right? So um, <laughs> obviously I'm biased, but, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but, they, but they missed out on the opportunity to, 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 to groom some talent because they, you know, they weren't focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, um, you know, I, I'm a big believer that um, it has to work both ways, right? So as leaders of organizations, we have to enable it for sure. But to your second question, as a, as a leader of color, you also have to, um, or as a professional of color, you also have to try to find ways to, you know, one, bring others up. You've got to find people, you've got to find mentors, you've got to find um, people that you can network with. You know, I think one of the, one of the best things you can do um, is get a mentor of a different, of a different race, right? Like, um, or mentor someone of a different race. Uh, you know, that, that really helps to, uh, to, to um, start building some of those, those, those uh, relationships and, and start looking at things a little bit differently. Um, but I, I would definitely say that as, as a black professional, you know, networking is, is really important. Um, I would also say that, um, you know, there's, there's realities and you're, you're going to be um, the minority in, in a lot of cases uh, for, for the foreseeable future. This is not gonna go away overnight. And, and what you can't do is let that be a discouragement. Right, because um, you know we were having this conversation as an executive team the other day. You know, we we you know we we are not going to all of a sudden become you know a, a seventy percent you know minority organization overnight. And uh, I'm not saying that that's where we want to go, but so so while you're on that journey, you're still going to have these these folks who are the minority in that business. And so as a person of color, you're going to be the minority for for the foreseeable future. And you've got to be comfortable with that. And you've got to learn how to work with that. And you've got to, you've got to not let that discourage you. Um, and you've got to be able to, to um, you know, speak up within your organization and, and find people within your organization and share your perspective. Um, you know, I think that's really important because people don't, people don't know how you feel if you don't tell them, right? And, um, you know, some advice I got early in my career from an African-American leader, he said to me, um, he was a COO at a, a large Fortune 500 company I was at. He said to me, uh, we were talking about performance management one time. He asked me if I had um, created a career plan for myself. And I told him that, um, sorry, my dogs are barking. <laughs> another, another 2020. Yeah, another, another trend from working from home. So I told him that, um, that, my, that my manager hadn't created one for me yet. And he said, listen, he said, um, manage your career or someone else will. Uh, yeah, and so you know, for me, I've always taken it as, you know, you, you have to take some ownership 
over your own career. So yeah, it's funny, Elias. That it's so much more acceptable now for dogs to bark, kids to come in, whatever. When we started this company, I was telling you we were we were remote from the beginning, and I was always nervous, like what's going on a noise because no one else was doing it. Now it's like, oh yeah, that's my dog. That's this. That's that. Oh, I got a postman at the door. Whatever. It, it yeah. it's great. So I, we can we, we can keep on going, man. Um, I think so, that's really good advice. Uh, your your manager gave you. You manage your career, uh, or somebody else will. It's fantastic advice. Let me, I want to go back to what you were saying about um, the recruitment and retention. So let's say someone's listening right now and they're like, yeah, I want, I want more, more people of color, more minorities, more inclusivity in my company on a leadership perspective, but how do I do this? I mean, I, I, I'm, I, I'm in, I'm, I'm buying into this, but I see the competitive advantage. What's some advice you can give them? Cause I, I used to, you know, go re recruit the best people. We try to do that, but to your point, your circles are going to be, largely circles look like you. And, and, and again, I look at our company, we've done a great job. I think we've had some really strong female come then we've got minorities here or there, but right. I, I just look at our company and we're not as diverse as I'd like to be candidly. Right. Um, yeah. So what are some advice, what's some advice you can, you can offer to folks? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a couple of things you can do. I mean um, I think one, you can leverage your network, right? So you can leverage, you know, if, if um, you know, you can reach out to, if, if you don't have enough, you know, diverse leadership within your organization, you know, reach out to others who do have it and, and, and maybe try to tap into their networks to see if you can't recruit some of the talent through them. Um, I think that's I think that's definitely one thing you can do. I think there's always the kind of traditional thing of, you know, targeting some some different organizations and targeting um, you know, HBCUs and things like that to try to to drum up some talent. Um, but I think really what you have to do and, and it's something that really I just started to understand even this year is you know, there's there's things that we do um, in the way we recruit and in where we recruit and even in what we put in a job posting that can be exclusionary. And so I think, you know, as you think about how to attract um, diverse talent, you have to think about what you're saying, what, how you're trying to draw these people in, the requirements you're creating, all, all of these different things, um, you know, to, to try to draw in the, uh, the diverse talent. And so, you know, even, even the way you describe where your company's located, right? Like you want to make sure that, um, you know, if you have a, you know, we, we talk about, for example, if we have a facility that's in a um, predominantly white area, we wanna make sure that in the job posting that we also mention maybe some of the surrounding areas, right? Because if, if I'm a minority candidate and I know that I'm gonna have to move to this location um, and I look up the city or the, or the town that the, that the site's in and it's a, you know, 97% white town, all of a sudden I'm not into, interested in this job posting. However, if you list the three surrounding cities or the three surrounding you know counties or whatever and there's some diversity in those counties then all of a sudden now i'm like oh you know what i could go there because you know maybe there's some diversity from those towns at this company and, and maybe i can live in those areas um those types of things so yeah, you might be willing to be the minority at work but not the minority when you go home you'd rather at least exactly, have a exactly. so, that's working for you yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly so you know those are those are little things that like even i you know until we really started down this journey last year even i you know didn't really understand and didn't think about i i, I experienced them like i've been that person looking at a job posting and saying oh you know what this probably wouldn't work for me or or looking at a company's website and saying oh, you know what, this company doesn't have any black people, that kind of thing. Um, but I'd never thought about being on the other side and thinking, how do I make my company more attractive to that to that diverse talent? And, um, and there's ways you can do that. I mean, it, it, imagery matters, you know, like, you know, what's, who's on your website and the pictures you're using and, and those different things matter. Um, and, and the words matter, for sure. The words definitely matter. And I think that, um, 
you know, working with some, some experts in that space is, is never a bad thing to help you think about how you use more inclusive language and, and more inclusive imagery and, um, and everything that you're doing to attract talent. Um, yeah. And then I think also being open and authentic, right? Like to me, that, that's the best thing you can do. I mean, you know, for me, the, the you know, being willing to as a leader, as a, as a white man as you're doing to be able to have these conversations and to be able to say, hey, we want diverse talent, but I don't know how to get it. And, you know, being able to have these conversations that, you know, that, 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 that in and of itself can help as well. Because I think when people see that authenticity and they, they, they know that they're going to feel welcomed, that makes them more, more willing to, to go into those, uh, into those roles. So I think as much as you can get your own voice out there um, and as much as you can get, you know, your personality out there in, in terms of trying to attract talent, that's going to help bring on diverse talent for sure. Yeah, that's really good. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of picturing a mental imagery and I this may not be completely accurate, but I love the way when you, when you hear about this, oftentimes comes up quotas and things like that. And that always says, well, now you're a token or now you're not better than everybody else. You're looking to fill again. And that always is a bad taste in my mouth. I think a lots of people's mouths, but I love the way you're putting them. Like, instead of seeking a quota, you're seeking the best. And if you're only fishing in one pond, you know, you got to broaden your, your net to catch the best. And I love that idea. And I love that perspective, but you have to be deliberate about doing that, about making sure you're casting in that broad and wide or, or far and wide. I love that. I think that's, that's really good. Um, so if, if, and I know I won't be mindful of your time, yeah, no, but yeah. if you had, man, if you just, if I just handed you the magic wand saying, this is what could change in the next few years in our industry to really just, just really bring up diversity and inclusivity in our industry, what would it be? Yeah. I mean, that's, a, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I, I, I think the biggest thing is, um, you know, I, I said it earlier, more education, um, you know, I, I really feel like we need more education uh, in our industry around diversity. You know, we're not attracting, our industry doesn't attract uh, people of color. It just doesn't. And, and I think that, you know, today, you know, African-American kids who are going to college are not majoring in supply chain or engineering or those things because they don't feel like that's a field that they can break into. And so I think what we need to do is we need to be you know, working with universities and working with, you know, black alumni associations and, um, you know, black MBA associations to, to set to go out there and, and put our um, put our put our name out there as 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 a uh, as, as companies to to attract some of this talent. And then we need to be encouraging and supporting um, African Americans into programs like engineering supply chain and those other things, because, you know, if you if you just look at the the, the pipeline, if you will, if you don't have the pipeline, you're never going to fill the roles, right? And the pipeline is really those those students and those people in programs. Um, so if the if the universities don't have enough black engineering students, then you're not going to end up with enough, you know, black leaders in supply chain. If they don't have enough black supply chain students, you're not going to end up with enough black leaders in supply chain. And um, so it really starts with that pipeline. I, I'll give a good example. I had a I had a buddy who was uh, he was doing his PhD in engineering. And um, he thought about dropping out of the program and the university president called him in and said, hey, you know, you can't drop out of this program because it'll affect our numbers too significantly. And he was like, yeah, he's like, you know, I don't want to mess the university's numbers up. And he said, no, no, no. He said, I don't mean the university. He said, there's so few black PhD engineers that you will mess up the numbers for the country. <laughs> he's like, you're literally one of, you know, a handful no pressure. of- No Yeah, exactly. He said, you're literally a, a, one of a handful of black people that are gonna get a PhD in engineering this year, you know? So it's, 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 it's one of those things where, you know, if we don't build the pipeline up, 
then we're not going to end up with enough enough people in leadership. Same thing with MBA programs, right? Like when you look at the the diversity within MBA programs, it's getting better, um, but there's still definitely an opportunity there. And I think a lot of um, a lot of organizations need to be working with like the Black uh, MBA Association and some of these other, you know, like I said, Black alumni groups to try to to try to drum up some talent. Um, you know, oftentimes. Black people end up in roles that they're they're overqualified for because um, they have to be overqualified to get attention sometimes. So we, we really need to be be drumming up this talent uh, through those programs. Yeah, education, demand, pipeline, broadening the net. These are all good. Things. I mean, uh, if if anyone is listening now or watching, depending on what what media yeah. you're consuming, this man, there's a lot of good stuff, Elias. And and sh- certainly, you know, if I, I think right now, if somebody's interested in in broadening their their uh, diversity within their company. You've given some great stuff. I, I appreciate it. I, I do have a couple more questions for you, just yeah, of kind of more, more, more general in nature. Um, I, I love the advice you offered. I always love for any wisdom I can pull out of any guest we have on here. And so, <laughs> so what's a, a book, a podcast, any kind of knowledge source, something that you've found that's been extremely valuable to you in your career? Yeah, I mean, I, I love the book Strength Finders. Um, okay. You know, I, yep. for me, that that's always been a book that I've... Um, you know, it was one that I read and it just really resonated with me. And I, and I asked my teams to read it. Um, you know, I think too often we focus on the things that we're not good at versus the things that we are good at. And that yeah. book really talks a lot about that. You know, I, I think about being, being a former athlete, I always think about in sports, you, you, you know, you're, you're allowed to have specialists, right? Like you don't ask your receiver to, um, to make tackles. You ask your receiver to catch guard. the ball because that's <laughs> right. what they're good at. Right? So, um, so I think Strength Finders is, a, is, a, is an incredible book. I also love uh, Colin Powell's book and his 13 Rules of Leadership. Um, it, the book's called It Worked For Me. Um, it's a fantastic book about leadership. And, and, and it's a fantastic book about a you know, person of color who, at a, who did unbelievable things in leadership in an environment where you, know, you, you wouldn't have thought it was possible um, and coming from where he came from. So you know, I think for, uh, if you're looking for inspiration, whether you're white, black, or otherwise, um, Colin's Bow, Colin Powell's book at work for me is is a fantastic book about someone who overcame a lot of adversity and and really made a way for himself as as, as a leader. And he talks about being an, a, an African American leader in the military and, and as he worked his way up through the ranks, how how that felt and what that was like being the only um, you know African American general in the room or the only African American senior leader in the room. So. Yeah, no, those are those are both great. I and one of the things that cut to kind of end on, I'd love to ask you. I, I found it, maybe just again part, part, go back to the upbringing. Gratitude is is almost a superpower for me, and always has been. Um, and I, I just like to ask you, what what you know, it, whether it's in the midst of the pandemic or whatever. I mean, what is it you're most grateful or or, or even hopeful for that matter? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I'm I'm hopeful that um, you know, I, I one, I'm I'm grateful for my family first and foremost, right? Like, I mean, I think, you know, I, I was literally uh, talking with a, 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 I'm a part of a, a president's organization. I was talking with one of the gentlemen in the organization about how our families enable us to do the, to do this job. As you know, it can be demanding. We can work, you know, we can work around the clock at times. And so, you know, my wife's super supportive and is, has been great in that way. And, and, and I have two young daughters who are, who are awesome. And, and what I'm hopeful about is that, um, you know, I see them interacting and I see them at school and I feel like we're getting better. You know, you know, it's, it's easy to focus on the things that have, uh, that are going wrong in the world. But, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a believer that, you know, you have to focus on the positive sometimes too. And, and, I, and I really feel like, um, you know, we're doing a lot of good things um, and there's been a lot of good progress and it, it's not where it needs to be and we're not where we need to be. But, um, 
but we do have reason to be to be hopeful for the future. And um, you know, you, you talk about women in leadership. You know, there's there's just a you know, Roz Brewer was just named as, uh, as as CEO of Walgreens, and so we've got a, a black woman in the in the Fortune 500. So, you know, having two two black daughters that that's 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 encouraging, right? And so, you know, we just need to continue to make to make small steps and, and continue to make progress. Yeah, awesome. and the vaccines are starting to get out, so that's yeah, that's great. <laughs> yep, that's right. Awesome, Elias Simpson, man, you've been a great guest. I really appreciate you coming on. I think this has been fantastic. Um, thank you. Good luck with all you're doing. And maybe we'll have you back again soon. And we can, we can rip on any other topic we've got going on yeah, out there. Absolutely. Alex, I, um, I really appreciate you having me. It was great. So thank you very absolutely. much. Absolutely. Thanks, Elias. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to Heads Up, a Mountain Leverage production with your host, Alex Renneman. Be sure to subscribe to catch future episodes as we dive into all things logistics and optimization.